like there is just I mean there's a lot of like really great weird stuff going on that I feel like could only come from the mind of James Gunn and I think you know that's what you want out of a movie like this this big wild superhero movie is you want somebody with a really creative funny vision and he's going to come in and let you know let it loose like a Terry Gilliam or a Luke Besson has done like Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 453 with a review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. I'm Christopher Schnazy. I'm Carson Patrick. And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, we are once again tackling uh, one of the films in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, since we are talking about a comic book film, we're going to do our classic thing of two guys who don't know a whole lot about the comics <laughs> universe. I'm going to start bringing up random topics. But uh, yeah, so I want to ask you, Carson, if you get the same feeling I get when I watch these uh, Guardians films, I want to I ask you about the, the Yaka arrow, which is the, the, the arrow thing that Yondu controls. Um does that shit shit seem way broken? Like like way too OP? <laughs> like, I every time it's used in any of the movies, it just feels like such a powerful thing. <laughs> and it's and it's treated like it is powerful, but it just seems like the character is broken. And like I'm you know, I kind of poked around in some some various wikis online and stuff, and it seems like they amped up the power of the thing a lot for the Marvel films, because I guess the character carried like a satchel of arrows before and it's supposed to be like an arrow that you shoot and then you can whistle and it changes direction a little bit so it's like if you're not as good as Hawkeye you can whistle and overcorrect to make the arrow hit something I could be wrong but that's the impression I got it was what it's supposed to be but it just seems like a gnarly weapon what do you think uh you you really took a deep dive on <laughs> on this one <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, uh, I, I, uh, I'm, I, my only thing, the thing that first comes to mind is that I, maybe the reasoning for changing it was that it was too similar to, to Hawkeye. I don't know. Yeah. Or James Gunn just thought it would be a lot cooler, um, the way that Michael Rooker does it in the movie. Um, I don't know. I feel like this it, this was a creative choice done by uh, Mr. Gunn. I mean, it has to be a creative choice, but I mean, the way the character's played, he's sort of so he's sort of supposed to be like a lackey, right? Like if it was Pirates of the Caribbean, he wouldn't be the captain of a ship. He would be like one of the random guys who's there as a joke, right? Like he's kind of supposed to be not the best mercenary or whatever they are, but I feel like his weapon is so powerful that he should be something that is like feared by everyone who knows of his existence because he can just destroy like fleets of people. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is um this is another uh this is another very schnee centric uh th- Topic theory cooked up. Schnee's gonna schnee's. This isn't as uh, this isn't as bad, but it's kind of like the suits theory. I think it's a little in that direction. And 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 for people who are new to the podcast, suits theory was was when we were talking about Iron Man. Um, Iron Man three. Yeah. Iron Man three. Uh, yeah. There is this this. I have this statement just about like. He essentially has all these suits, and the existence of all the suits basically negates the the need for Avengers or anybody really because all these suits could do everything. So the character yeah. has to decide to destroy them at the end of the film because otherwise, how could the series continue? <laughs> because everything's <laughs> fine because there's a million Tony Starks flying around saving everybody. Um, right. But uh, 
that was all the theory, of course, before Ultron, where Ultron sort of takes over the suits, sort of. Yeah. Um, sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but anyways. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I, you know what I, you know what I did find out after this movie, though. What did you find uh, out? Um, this was my this was my deep dive, and it it fits into something that that was uh, brought up recently on this podcast. Um, very coincidentally. Um, uh, and much to my delight, I might add. Um, so I was watching this movie and there's, you know, there's, there's these characters of the, the Ravagers and there's one Ravager guy who (laughs) keeps popping up and I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, he looks so familiar to me. And, um, he's, uh... Like if you if you remember in the movie, there's one Ravager who has like long hair and kind of like a Skrillex haircut. And um, so after the movie was over, I'm on IMDb, I'm scrolling through, and I see the guy's name, and I know immediately that it was him. And I I about jumped out of my skin because this guy is played by none other. Than Jimmy Urine, the lead singer of Mindless Self Indulgence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is that is awesome. So there's a photo. If you go on his IMDb page, there's a there's a photo from the movie that uh, is currently being sent to you. Obviously, he's the guy on the left. Um, that's the character. He's credited as Halfnut. Uh, but he gets a lot of sc- <laughs> he gets a lot of screen time. He has a couple lines and stuff. Um, he's one of the main Ravager dudes, um, and I thought that was I thought that was funny. Not only that James Gunn is a fan of MSI, but also that another piece of trivia is that they uh, are clearly good friends and have worked together because uh, he did the music for uh, this uh, that video game that James Gunn did uh, called Lollipop Chainsaw, like a couple uh, years yes. back. Yeah. Which I have not played, obviously, but I remember when he was promoting it. Um, so yeah, he did the music for that, and now uh, now they've been reunited. And I had no idea like this was uh, this was apparently something that had been reported on too. Like there are articles going back to like July where it's like lead singer of Mindless Self Indulgence has role in Guardians of the Galaxy too. And I was like, oh man, I just wasn't on this wasn't on the radar. But it was it was pretty funny that uh, that that happened. I was like, oh man. What are the odds? Like, what what was the thing that made you bring up the the band, like, three episodes ago or whatever it was? Well, that was, I just made a joke about when you threw it to me about, you know, where where can people find me? And I just said, bitches love me because they know that I'm on time.tumblr.com in a reference to their song. And then you guys were kind of like, huh? So that's when I brought it up and sang a sweet rendition. It is it is pretty funny that, like all <laughs> these things are being being interconnected all these things that we referenced recently. Um, I I feel like that's how it always happens, but this one was extra weird. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. That is hilarious though. I had a good laugh though. <laughs> that's it it's a pretty strange coincidence if you ask me. <laughs> um but yeah, what do you say we get into our review, Mr. uh Carson Patrick. I realize that I, don't, I can't say your last name unless I say your first name first. Well, that's okay. I was like, Mr. Mr. Patrick? Mr. Patrick sounds too old and formal. It, it's like when, when, when little kids call you Mr. your first name, when like, you know, like somebody else's <laughs> kids are like, oh, Mr. Carson. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we are going to play the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and then come back and give you guys a review. Hope you're ready. It'll be here any minute. Is that a rifle? You don't know what a rifle looks like? It's just swords were your thing and guns were mine. But I guess we're both doing guns now. I just didn't know that. Well, that's intense. I see it within you. Fear. Jealousy. Betrayal. It is our duty to cleanse the universe of this weakness. You know, they told me you people were conceited douchebags, but that isn't true at all. Dude. Ah, I'm using my wrong eye. Throat, put your seatbelts on. 
Jack up our prices for two-time Galaxy Savers. Yes! searching for your whole life. It's right there by your side all along. You're right. All you do is yell at each other. You're not friends. No, we're family. Except maybe her. After all these years, I've found you. And who the hell are you? I'm your dad, Peter. All right, so that was the trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, in this story, our heroes uh, from the last adventure are off doing hero things, you know, getting little odd jobs here and there. And in the course of one job, they uh, end up pissing off some race of being that is trying to kill them. While trying to escape, they encounter another person, and that person sets off the plot of this story in motion. And uh, this is, um, I, I would, I feel like this film is potentially the least connected film from the rest of the series. Like everything is is having to bleed over. Like character, like there is one reference to the to an, an Infinity Stone. In, mm. in this in this story and it's not about who had it it's just about a thing that a character did with an yeah. infinity stone in a previous film and i feel like this is this is like the mcu equivalent of a bottle episode um and i have a feeling that that may elevate it for you carson patrick because um you tend to not like that every film has to be a thing that just sets up more films to go forward. So did the bodiliness of this film uh, elevate it for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was, um, I'd say that's a part of it for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was like a couple references to like Thanos and stuff since um, like uh, Zoe Saldana and, the character that Karen Gillan plays are like there is his offspring, or at least yeah, one of yeah, them yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. So that there's uh, refer- there's references to Thanos, but not in the context of what Thanos is doing now. Simply no, in the context no. of having been raised by Thanos. I would definitely say that the first Guardians had more. Even that movie felt pretty um, felt pretty bottlenose too, um, but. I felt like that one even had more connective tissue because there was like an actual scene with Thanos that felt like, oh, we have to have this in here because it is still connected to, uh, you know, the the Marvel Universe and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this one definitely feels even more of a, a self-contained movie. Um, I mean, it helps that these movies take place in a whole different universe a whole different realm you know kind of like the thor movies but even more than this because they're they're really off <laughs> in deep space doing you know whatever the hell they want um <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure i i think uh i mean i think that i think that is a is a benefit and it's also a benefit that that this material is just a really great match for james gunn's uh sensibilities as a writer and director i mean i just feel like his humor just melds so perfectly with these characters uh and it was very obvious from the the first movie which i mean the three of us all really liked and i you know i think it was widely praised by everyone that you know this is a movie that had a lot of sense of fun and adventure um and and at least for me, it was it was very much the type of movie that I that Marvel has been uh, that's I feel like Marvel is known for um, more so than these like you know these really drab Captain America sequels that we've been getting <laughs> that just feel they just feel so lifeless and like bland and they just don't 
have like the the humor or the heart behind it um hey carson it, they were they used to be friends and so was them <laughs> they used you, to be bros <laughs> <laughs> you, you i mean i i think there's some life i i think there's some life in civil bro and and uh i i will still i will still fight you i will Oh, I mean, there's no doubt that I mean a lot of people. Uh, I mean, are on this on those movie sides. Like, I don't think that you know, I'm definitely in the minority on those. I mean, because people consider uh, Winter Soldier and Civil Bro to be like in the top tier, and I've, for me, that's like bottom tier for sure. Like bottom two, definitely. Um, I would consider the you know stuff like Guardians and uh, the Iron Man movies, especially. Iron Man one and um, Iron Man three, obviously. But like I was I was having this this discussion the other day with my brother. I was like, you know, Iron Man three doesn't even count as a Marvel movie. That's just somehow a Shane Black movie with licensed Marvel characters. <laughs> <laughs> like we this it's not even fair to could, you know, to include this. And I feel like a lot of a lot of people in a negative way would 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 uh, agree with that because, you know, so many people didn't like the way that characters were handled in that movie. And I feel like that movie too is very self-contained. Like there's, there's references to the other movies and stuff, but there's not like, it's not really setting up, uh, stuff, you know, anyway, but like, yeah, like, like it's set up to the, to the next film. The next film just happens to be a consequence of this film. This film doesn't telegraph what the future will hold. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this new, this guardians too feels I mean, it uh, for me personally, I thought it was better than the first one, and I thought it was one of the better. I, I feel like it stands with the first Iron Man as like the best thing that Marvel has done. Like I think that they, I think that you know, in the first Iron Man, just because everything was so new and like you're not used to all these, you know, this universe now, but like that movie just felt you know, like it had a lot of humanity and intimacy to it. Um, and I feel like this movie does too. Like, I feel like that, you know, they, they brought it back to this kind of feeling where, you know, there was a vision and there, there were these characters that you could latch onto and relate to. Um, and there were a lot of stakes involved and, uh, the movie, the movie feels big, but it also is pretty small scale. Like, I feel like they, you know, they, they kind of did the opposite here of what sequels do, especially in the Marvel world where they want to outdo the the one that came before it. And there's usually some big world ending scenario that the heroes have to stop, you know, some big portal or shit, you know? And, uh, I guess you could kind of say, well, okay, I won't even go there, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, easy, easy, easy. <laughs> uh, right, but we'll, we'll, we, we will have a spoiler section yeah, and, yeah. and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. But I do think the movie is pretty, uh, it feels like a big movie for sure. Like this movie looks expensive. Looks like they put every penny on screen. Um, but then it also like has a very, uh, it also has a very like intimate feel where it feels like, yeah, like we're just kind of following these characters. Um, kind of how we did in the first, um, except, you know, the first was very much an intro story. Um, and I, I feel like, um, I feel like, you know, in the, in the first Guardians, it was very much a James Gunn's flavor and everything. And, but, you know, he, he invited everyone in and once everyone got acquainted and loved it, now it was like, he really cut loose. And to the point where I feel like it could turn people off that, who liked the first one, that this one was just full blown James Gunn to the point where I thought that it was like almost too weird for for like something that Marvel sanctioned. Like there was stuff in this movie where I was like, "Wow, I'm surprised that they let him go this nuts." Like, um, <laughs> uh, because was it, was, was, it, was it the porcelain dioramas? <laughs> Those are pretty cool. Um, like, there's a lot of great production design and and production value in this movie. Like, I think this is the best looking Marvel movie that they they put out. Like, there's like a ton of color and design to it um i mean it's light years above the like that whole concrete parking garage look of civil bro which was so boring (laughs) um but like there's just a lot of you know really 
I mean, there's a lot of CGI in the movie too. Don't get me wrong, but like, I feel like that even that was like very well designed and like it fit into this like very cosmic world that they're living in. And even more than the first movie, and the first movie was pretty, pretty colorful too. But this one, they really just cranked it up and had really like wild set pieces and and all these crazy worlds. And I mean. This movie is giving uh, Luke Besson a run for his money for sure. Um, Move over Valerian. I was like, shit, is this Valerian? Like, where's Dane DeHaan? Um, Yeah, and you know, there's there's obviously a lot of CG, but I think they handle it really well in this movie. I think that, you know, you, you become accustomed to it a lot more when they're, you know, it helps when there's, there's a lot of, well, obviously a lot of great actors, but the fact that a lot of the the creatures and the the monsters and even like, you know, like Zoe Saldana as Gamora, she's not just in a mocap suit. She's in actual green makeup. And like it helps that, you know, there are these people in the costumes and stuff that to, and, you know, and then when they're standing up against like Baby Groot and Rocket, it doesn't look as odd. It You buy into it more because it's, you know, it's like, okay, there's like the, the human ratio is more than the non-human ratio. Yeah. And, um, and even like, and it helps that, you know, that they are in this very heightened cosmic world that, uh, you know, you buy more into that comic book flavor, which I feel like really, they just really, James Gunn and everybody really hit the nail on, on the head with this. Like, I mean, I just couldn't get over like the, the designs of some of this stuff, like the whole, like, you know, you see in the trailer with these, like, the the people on, and they're all, like, decked out in gold and shit. And you're just like, man, this is crazy. This is like some Terry Gilliam shit right here. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, it's funny because, you know, a lot of people were saying how weird, like, Doctor Strange was. And I remember when I saw that, I was just like, yeah, weird if you've, like, never seen a movie before. But, like, <laughs> uh, you know, not really that weird. And I feel like this, like... This puts Doctor Strange to shame, man. Like this, I mean, I thought Doctor. I mean, I didn't hate Doctor Strange. I thought it was just I. There's some. There's there's stuff to like in it, but like, man, this just that blows that out of the water in terms of like cosmic fantasy shit. Like, like there is just. I mean, there's a lot of like really great weird stuff going on that I feel like could only come from the mind of James Gunn. And I think, you know, that's what you want at a, a, a movie like this, this big wild superhero movie is you want somebody with a really creative, funny vision, and he's going to come in and let, you know, let it loose like a Terry Gilliam or a Luke Basson has done. Like, you know, you want him to do something like that. And I think the movie is hilarious. Like everybody in this is obviously is just bringing their a game, you know, from the returning cast members to the new cast members and um yeah it's just it's a it's a hell of a lot of fun and uh yeah i had a really great time with it so 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 i had a i had a, a pretty good time with it um i thought it was fun and i think the silliness and stuff like that like everything you're saying is true and accurate um it is weird in the context of the marvel cinematic universe why did this film need to get made? <laughs> and like when I when I said earlier that it felt like a bottle episode, it, it it truly does. Like these characters are just off doing their own thing. And as it turns out, their plot affects a lot of other things that aren't just them in their in their in their little area. But the way it's handled, if they didn't cut to other places, and see the effects of what's going on there, it would seem like their entire experience was completely isolated off on its own. And it feels like when like an anime is being made based on a manga and like they're waiting for more like manga to be drawn, they have these filler episodes that just like are bullshit that don't mean anything and don't elevate the greater story. It's just like, oh, we're gonna take these characters to a ramen shop or something right it's just like these moments of time where characters have a thing that is like everything halts so they can go on this little extra journey and do a side thing and for me as enjoyable as it was to see these characters in the moments it just felt 
off for some reason, and I don't know why. And it's not that I needed people to like. I didn't need characters to be like, oh, "Have you talked to the Avengers lately?" Um, like every other movie does. But it felt mm-hmm. like it just felt so strange. Like it feels like they know what they want to do for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. But where they want to fit the Guardians in requires some time within the context of the universe. And they're like, well, we got to do another movie now because we've contracted all these people to do all these movies and we got to get them doing them. Um, so there, there, there's just something very, very weird about why this story exists. And um, most of my thoughts are going to have to come in the spoiler section because I have to talk directly about different elements uh, of the story. But it just... There, there's just something strange about about it. I mean, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume One. Uh, you know, the the the, 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 the theme, not the theme, but like like that that ends with this big like we are Groot moment. And yeah. this film seems like all the characters forgot we are Groot and need to come back together to learn that we are Groot. Um, like, th- there's just something strange about like how they spend all this time with these character moments, which are nice like congratulations to them to actually give each of these characters these moments to shine and those moments genuinely work like there are moments during this movie where i teared up (laughs) oh yeah i mean i that's the other thing i was gonna say is that the the movie comes to a pretty big emotional (laughs) uh like punch of an ending or at least you know third act yeah yeah And, and 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 like i'm stoked about that like i i i love that aspect of them doing it but it's still I couldn't get past this feeling that this film is literally just buying time to fill the slot so people don't forget that Marvel movies are happening. Like it feels like they just they needed to put something in, in the slot so that they could continue to have money <laughs> throughout the year um, to, well, I mean, to I help didn't... fund the next projects. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get that feeling. And that's probably because, like, you know, I would rather have a movie like this that doesn't feel like they're trying to uh set up the bigger piece in the puzzle although there are some things that are set up in this movie which i had no indication of what they were that are in the uh post-credit scenes um yeah, I, so, I can't. I can't tell whether that stuff is going to be spinoff material or yeah, future I have no, Guardians films. I have no idea, but I mean, I I did like the aspect of it feeling more like kind of what you said, where it's like this. Uh, it's more of like a one, like a like a like a not a filler episode, but like a like a monster of the week type of thing, you know? Yeah, like it's kind of like what. A, um, a lot of people praise Star Trek Beyond for, which was a feel uh, that kind of feeling of just like a great one-off episode of a of the TV show. But like to me, I don't think that movie pulled that off at all. Like I think that this, I feel like this definitely kind of has that flavor. Um, but I I just really like the you know where it comes down like you know where you just they really just focused in on the characters in this this really good ensemble piece uh, between all of them. And I, I mean, I felt like they still had this, the the camaraderie that they at least learned in the first movie. Like, I mean, there's, it's funny how, how closely these movies could tie into the Fast and Furious movies because they're, <laughs> they're all about family and they have a lot of the same cast members. Um, but yeah, like there's even a line, you know, in, in this one where, uh, Nebula says, like, you know, you're always yelling at each other. I thought you were friends. And I think Drax says, like, we're not friends, we're family or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think that's, I don't know, I think that's accurate. Like, I think that, and family is a big theme in this in this movie, in the second movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I felt like, I, I felt the love there, you know. No, that, no, I know I can't, I can't deny the love. Like the, the, there yeah. is a lot of like all of the characters seem to pair off with another person and spend the film kind of realizing um, how to care for each other. And and I commend them on that effort to do that with these characters. Like it's not all about just like, hey, let's kill the bad guy. Like Gamora has her own thing. She's like doing like she's not even helping half the movie. She's off mm. <laughs> dealing with her own situation, <laughs> and um, which is fine. But it's it's just it, yeah. There there's 
there's something so strange about what this movie is doing. And yeah, maybe maybe it's better for it. Maybe it's not. But it just felt weird. I mean, I did like the... I... Because um, I did like the aspect of them... Uh, or I was kind of worried about that aspect in the beginning because they, they kind of get... The characters kind of get split up, split up and, and are kind of doing different things, you know, and we get different characters split up and do their own things. And usually sometimes when they do that in sequels, like it ends up being for the worst. But I actually thought that the way he handled it in this movie um, worked out pretty well. Like it 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 worked really well. Um, And then it obviously comes back together in the end. But um, but yeah, like sometimes when they do that, it doesn't work, you know. And you're just like, oh, man, like, I wish they had, you know, more screen time together or a certain character doesn't get enough screen time or whatever. But I thought that they all got pretty equal screen time, you know, especially like with. Yeah, even even a character who was just sort of a side character in the first film has like huge, huge chunks of of, of (laughs) plot in this story. Yeah, yeah, big time. Um, and even like you know the new characters that they introduce have, you know, they have a considerable amount of of screen time that doesn't feel like oh hey like uh, you know Kurt Russell's in this, but you know, but like they, they he is and they they utilized him you know they didn't waste him like I thought yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, that was good you know, yeah, which cool. I mean come on that the casting of Kurt Russell is as Chris Pratt's father was like probably the most spot on casting <laughs> because I mean like, and it's so funny because I mean, cause like Kurt Russell was basically the Chris Pratt of the eighties. And it's so funny how Kurt Russell in an interview, basically it just said it himself and be, and he can because he's Kurt fucking Russell and anything he says is, is awesome. But yeah, he just did. He just basically was like, yeah, like uh, I was awesome and did this back in the day when no one else was doing it. And uh, I just thought it was funny. So what you're saying is we need to do like another Escape from X movie and have Chris <laughs> Pratt be uh, Snake Plissken or whatever his name is. Snake Plissken's son or something. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to get him for the, the remake that they're doing. Oh, they are Which, doing a remake. Yeah, they're they're finally going through with it. Robert Rodriguez is directing it, so <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> but I mean, oh, I you can't top the the original man. Like I just, there's no way. Like I just can't even see that. Even yeah. if they got like somebody cra- like you know, just crazy good to direct it and stuff, I still think it'd be like no way. That's like untouchable. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Well. Uh, unless, unless it was Chris Pratt, and then during the escape, somebody comes to help him. <laughs> it's Kurt Russell as an old man. Dude, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to do that, just with the whole, like, legacy, the legacy quills, as they're calling them and shit. Yeah, yeah. 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 Good times. Well, I think we're we're starting to get towards the the, the time where like we we really want to be talking about things more more directly. So, what do you say we do verdicts real fast and then get into spoilers? Okay. All right. So, Carson, if you're going to give this a must see, a reckon with a caveat, wait for a rental, pass with a caveat, or a must avoid, what would you give it? Uh this is definitely a must see. Like this is this movie is like like the lost world on steroids like every character is jeff goldblum and they all get great (laughs) one-liners so if you were really into the lost world like i was (laughs) and still am and still am and love me some jeff goldblum just being front and center uh sassing everybody this is the movie for you this is the sequel for you I don't know that I've ever heard anybody go to bat for Lost World before. Oh, come on, dude. The Lost World is great. That's underrated. I know even Steven Spielberg, like, poo-pooed it, but, like, The Lost World is fantastic. (laughs) Uh, The book was good. (laughs) Oh, the book was great, too, but the movie was awesome, too. I still still wish... uh, I really wish that the movie had the scene with Dotson using the little, like ultrasonic gun thing to try to drive back the t-rexes and get the actual eggs from the nest um like he did in the book um, mm. because that that was a great moment of uh 
comeuppance for that character. I mean, Do- the fact that Dodgson like was the big villain in the second book was, and then he's not even in the second movie was yeah. pretty lame. But you know, whatever. We got Dodgson here. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> we got Dodgson here. <laughs> Nobody cares. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So I. As much as I wonder how, why this movie was made, and and as much as I believe that it was sort of like a thing to hold off while they're trying to like crank out other Marvel properties um, to get prepared for like where this franchise wants to go in the future, uh, I still feel like it's got to be at least like a recommend with a caveat. Caveat being, this film doesn't necessarily feel important in the in in the universe of Marvel. Um, but the characters are great. There are definitely actual genuine touching moments and, um, you definitely feel good about the personal journeys that all the characters go on through the course of these films. So, um, and I, I admit that I am aware that I am in the minority again, even though this movie is well liked, it's got like an 80 something percent. Um, but, uh, I, I, I did see a lot of, you know, not as good as the first, didn't feel as fresh, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I understand those points of view. Like I, you know, the stuff like with the, the music, um, not being as fresh and stuff. It's like, okay, I can understand that. But I do think that like James Gunn's use of the music in this movie is still, great like i mean there are uh, the you know the scene that <laughs> the, the the scene that's in the trailer where you know yondu is using uh his friend that chris took a deep dive on like that's a really <laughs> well staged scene you know where he's him and rocket are walking in slow motion all the bodies are like falling down you know and yeah uh set to you know come a little bit closer with the, that one song like that like that was still like a like set to that music and stuff was just like a really memorable well-staged scene yeah um but i mean of course it wasn't gonna be as fresh as the first you know with the music and everything but like i still think that he managed to make it feel like he still managed to make it feel good and and memorable instead of just going like ah he's using the music again like it didn't feel like that you know yeah, and he also yeah. found a way to have characters directly reference lyrics in songs to make <laughs> points. Yeah, so. yeah. and so you TV can't shows fault too. Them too much. Yeah, I mean, I thought that it still was really well done, and you know, like any th- sequel, you yeah, it's gonna be hard to keep stuff like that fresh if you're bringing it back. But I mean, you know, as long as it doesn't feel like oh, okay, you know, they're just reusing the same material and jokes. I mean, they didn't do that at all. It was all like you know. It was all new stuff, so. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, I think we need to quickly get into spoilers here. So we're going to have the music fade up, and then in a a few moments, the the music will fade back down, and we'll be in full-blown spoilers. So if you haven't seen the film yet, you probably don't want to continue on past this point. Uh, But, yeah, thanks for listening, and everyone else, we'll see you in just a sec. Alright, so we are back. This is spoiler territory. It's the after section for a review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, in this section, we're talking full-blown spoilers for this film. So, once again, you have been warned. We spoil everything. Um, so yeah, um, the we talked earlier about how it feels like this story is more self-contained, but like it's it's very strange that the universe is still at stake here. <laughs> like mm. the uh, you know um, what why did why did his name <laughs> Kurt Russell <laughs> like the name just <laughs> fell out of my head for a second. Uh, Kurt Russell's character is literally endangering the entire universe. He yeah. his plan is basically like. Uh, in Transformers 17 when uh, they wanted to take all of... Uh, oh, with the, the, the OG portal. Yeah, the OG portal. Yeah. Like they, they, wanted, they wanted to take all of Cybertron 
and basically replace Earth with Cybertron, and yeah. it would kill it would kill Earth, but then Cybertron would live. And that's basically what Kurt Russell is trying to do. Like he has planted these weird little like <laughs> avatar uh, plants or something. Yeah, yeah, they're weird avatar plants all over like every planet in the universe. And yeah, pretty pretty much is what essentially. We get, yeah. If he can make one child that has this power, it's enough to generate a large enough amount of energy to allow him to sprout this plant and take over every planet in the universe. And that is, for some reason, his end goal. Um, so, obviously, you can probably tell from my voice that I think this this whole plan is a little ridiculous. Um, I think the I think the idea of him going to all these planets trying to create a progeny is really really interesting and i i actually love that aspect of it like you just take away the the universe ending plant part of it and i was so on board with this plot um because i thought it was great character moment for for star lord and like seeing that star lord is is the child of a celestial and he uh has theoretically the same like planet forming godly power that Kurt Russell has uh, was was a really interesting and compelling. But like the weird thing is they establish that he has phenomenal cosmic power and he gets zero time to use it because by the time everything picks up, the they got to defeat the bad guy and end the film. And like Chris Pratt finds out that he has this power and only gets to use it to punch his dad. <laughs> and then it's in the best gone. way possible. It's no, no. I mean, like it, it's it's fun and stuff, but it, it's in a story where like somebody suddenly realizes they're tapped at all this thing, and then you just immediately remove it. It's sort of it, it's it's basically the equivalent to Iron Man three, where it's like he has so many suits, he's on. Unst- oh no, all of them are gone. Okay, cool. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have a problem with that. I thought it was funny. <laughs> It just I, I, I guess I I guess in my head I figured they're gonna try to defeat him and he was gonna use his power to conjure a ship that would save everybody, right? Um but instead they like take the power from him before and, and I'm perfectly happy with the way they did it because Yandu gets that pretty awesome moment where he gets to oh, sort yeah. of like redeem himself and you know, uh, he gets to become the David Hasselhoff uh, <laughs> for Chris Pratt, um, which is like both like simultaneously hilarious, cheesy, and also incredibly heartwarming and touching. Um, but yeah, like it's just there. It this film threads that line between stupid and dumb and incredibly compelling and and heartwarming. In a way that is is both uh, uh, to be celebrated and to be like riled, it's 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 difficult for me to deal with this film. Well, I mean, I think that that's something that only James Gunn could do, and that that's why I thought that when I after the movie was over, I was like, that's what made me feel like a lot of the people that really love the first movie might get turned off by this one and how like very. Just like this is more of like the style of, you know, not saying that the first one didn't have that flavor. Yeah. But this is just like unabashedly him in the same way that Iron Man 3 is to to Shane Black, which a lot of people also were like, ah, like, no, um, you know, I don't like that Mandarin stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, to me, that was like funny as hell. Like that is the kind of shit like you want to see in movies like this. Um, and I thought that uh, I mean. I think that's the most apparent in the scenes with Michael Rooker as Yondu because he it's funny because there's a there's an IMAX poster for this movie which is really badass but it has Yondu's head like is the biggest part of the entire poster and I remember Sarah going like man Michael Rooker's agent must have been on fire that day when he got his head to be the biggest part of the fucking poster. And I was like, (laughs) and then after seeing the movie, I was like, well, it makes sense. He's like, he's this giant part of the movie. Uh, you know, he's, he's he's basically the, 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 the central character that is, is kind of like he, cause obviously 
Chris Pratt as Star Lord is sort of, he's he's the leader of the group. He's the captain of the ship. He's the one that drives everything. But you find out that like Yondu is what made him who he is. Like he is yeah. literally like he went from being this weird sort of like creepy dude with bad teeth that that kind of potentially is is a hindrance to the characters in the goals they're trying to do to being this thing that is the central figure that started the character and of who he is and 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 uh yeah it's it's very impressive yeah and i think that the fact that his character gets this big uh emotional moment is the is that is what makes me feel like is a hundred percent uh, James Gunn because Michael Rooker has been in every single movie of his and like this is like a swan song you know like this is this is like in Force Awakens <laughs> level like <laughs> you know what I mean like it's like that kind of send off like that's it's like his way of being like alright like this is you know it's it's almost like you know in in terms of like working relationships like this is like he, he gave him this like very beautiful moment in this you know giant movie and it was uh yeah that's what made me really think like this is a this is what really makes this like a 100 percent 110 percent like james gunn movie is the fact that rooker got like so much that he got this huge part in this like big and i mean it is like i mean you can't help but uh like i said it get emotional at the end like not only that he died but like that his character died but like you know when when he basically just saves him and he says that line where he's like you know i may not may not be your father but i am your daddy or something i was like <laughs> jesus christ like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah like it was uh and, and, it was pretty and it, and crazy and it's not just with chris pratt like he has an an a kind of almost equally strong moment with uh rocket right like yeah like yeah he he has that moment where he's like no you, you and i are the same like we have been through the same stuff we do these things for the same reason like we are both people who feel like betrayed and outcast from the places that we came from and it, like he has power for moments with everyone and, and um it's pretty awesome. Like he, he even has like the powerful moments with like the weird lackey guy on the ship who he gives the Yaka arrow to, or I guess who uh, Pratt gives the Yaka arrow to at the end. But <laughs> oh, to to Sean uh, to Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother. Which it's, it's there's a lot of meta family going on, meta family <laughs> themes. Because that was the other thing where it's like because it feels like like in working relationships, like Michael Rooker is a part of the james gunn family and then obviously he has his real brother real life brother in the movie you know reprising his role yeah and like he he ends up getting like a pretty pivotal moment you know uh yeah so like there was you know there's a lot of you know family is definitely in the forefront here yeah um and even like the stuff you know with kurt russell and and you know he ends up turning villainous like even that stuff was like uh you know, it really like set up the 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 ending stuff, uh, and you know, I think it made it even more uh, strong and stuff. And like, I, I think that um, <laughs> there's a lot of like, there's rather like really dark stuff. Like the the fact that he like had all these children and then like fucking killed them, and the, the <laughs> bones are like in the cave. And I was like, damn. Um, but then it like you turn around. And there's, like, just a hilarious moment, you know, where he's like, that's my father! And it's, like, Kurt Russell is, like, a skeleton. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, that was... Like, anytime Kurt Russell was, like, rebuilding himself, I was like, "That's that shit is weirder than anything in Doctor Strange. Like, yeah. fuck that. Like, fuck Doctor Strange. Like, <laughs> like Kurt Russell walking down as, like, a skeleton, and he's turning into, like, muscle and shit. I was like, oh, man, like, this is... This is some good stuff. Yeah. And he, or, and he had like his face, the like Legends of the Hidden Temple face in the cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he was supposed to be a planet, so that was that was also kind of funny too, but Yeah, which I is mean, weird. Like he's just a brain that formed a planet around it and Yeah, I, that so, was So I I still don't completely get like um I di- I still don't completely get the the sense of of 
of why like so kurt russell was this being who started as just like a brain and a consciousness and then formed a planet and lived off and started traveling the universe to try to find other life and then he did and then he's like what if i like had sex with this life and made children that could help me carry out this plan where i turn <laughs> the entire universe into energy that keeps me alive forever which but also alone. Those, those porcelain <laughs> the the porcelain bodies when he was talking about having sexy times with all these people Dude, that was so <laughs> I, I i need like a freeze frame just so i can see what weird species he created there um, that that was like it was like funny and creepy at the same time well, so, like, so, oh, so man. The, the, the really funny thing though is like so he went off to find to find life and when he found life on earth he took the form of earthlings because he wanted he wanted to know what it was like to be human and he wanted to impregnate a human being, right? So Naturally. truly, if we're going to think about this correctly in that porcelain sculpture section, it should have been him as a human making out with a human porcelain doll. But all the other weird species, he should have been one of the weird species, right? Yeah, I guess so. But I think that they're just <laughs> they really like that. 80s Kurt Russell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, there's there's like porcelain Kurt Russell making out with like a xenomorph. <laughs> I think that's I think that's what made it funnier. <laughs> that's what made it creepier. Uh, that's what made it f- funny and creepier. Yeah, and I will say the uh, the de aging for young Kurt Russell in the beginning not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I I I want to know how much actual de aging happened because I feel like. When you give somebody that crazy hair, your brain de-ages them automatically. True. And like it's just like, okay, what we're gonna do is give you this wig and you just smile a lot and we're gonna give you a real good shave. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know. There was something about it where where I mean maybe it's just that it was that good, but it it I couldn't tell whether it was de-aging or I mean also he had like the big glasses some of the time too. And yeah, that that helped for sure. I feel but like, like there yeah, it, it definitely yeah. did not have like Jeff Bridges and Tron. No, legacy no, happening. definitely not. Like it looked good, but I couldn't tell whether it was just like, okay, never stand still, have the big hair, have the big glasses and just smile hugely and then be clean shaven and then nobody will know the difference. It even looked better than uh, Downey in Civil Bro, like when he was younger in that like simulation yeah. thing. And I feel That's, like Robert Downey. simulation Denny... thing was, was definitely like uh, Uncanny Valley. Yeah, and I feel like maybe in this, like, Kurt Russell, like, de-aged Kurt Russell wasn't moving that much, and like we said, he had sunglasses on and stuff. Yeah. Or maybe the fact that, like, they just smoothed out some wrinkles, and they're like, hey, he still looks the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then they, <laughs> they put, put some Avon on cream on his face and then yeah. said, like, shoot it. But I was, uh, I was surprised at how, like, non-weird it looked. yeah. It still looked a little weird, but it wasn't as weird as as what we've seen from yeah, other movies. Sure. Yeah, but um, I mean, yes, the you know the his whole plot to take over the universe. I mean, like I said, there there is definitely like this this world universe ending scenario like that we would get in a sequel. But like I feel like it's handled very very small like very small scale like it i mean we get kind of glimpses of other planets in peril like briefly but um it didn't feel like uh you know like an avengers scenario where it's like oh like the whole world is in danger and i don't know like it just it definitely felt a little more intimate um maybe that was just because they had built up all the you know the characters and stuff with i don't know but uh, I did like that the that the uh, essentially the you know they're trying to to blow up this this planet the core of the planet and it's just literally a brain um, yeah, yeah yeah it's literally just Kurt Russell's brain uh, which is again another nice weird touch um, and then obviously like them fighting and uh, Chris Pratt takes the form of Pac Man. And that was like a that was like a crank two level, like where they turn into like kaiju monsters, you know? Yeah. Well, so 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 one of the things that I like about the the Kurt Russell arc is, so he's this celestial being who is he's not outside of time, like he he perceives time normally, but he is immortal, and 
technically, I mean, not technically, he actually murdered all of his progeny who did not have his ability to um, to control the power and, and live forever like he did. But in a way, those people, like, he was bringing those people to to live out these days with him, theoretically, in tandem as they took over the whole universe. And when none of them could actually do any of the things, they were going to die anyways while he, <laughs> <laughs> like, like he, he obviously murdered them prematurely, but they also couldn't live forever. Like, in his mind... Everything in the universe is going to die eventually anyways. So all mm-hmm. he's doing is is like making that go faster yeah. because he created a thing for the sole purpose of helping him do this other thing. So um, I'm not justifying the genocide of, of all of his <laughs> progeny. I'm just saying that like there there is something interesting about like child murder char- is wrong. No, no, I, I just mean like his <laughs> his character is not his character doesn't think he's evil. He just doesn't understand that life is precious for anyone other than than an immortal celestial. Um, mm, yeah. So there is something interesting about a villain that doesn't get that he's being villainous. He th- like that bomb he drops when he's like, and I and I still feel bad that I g- gave your mother that tumor. Like, oh yeah, that that bomb was like, oh shit, this is not just like. You, because like he he he's talking about like the you know his, his line about how he knew that if he went back a fourth time he would never be able to leave, and he had this goal that he had to do. So it's like in his head, he was he was not like he wasn't abandoning them. He was making sure he could carry out his mission. But the fact that he had to kill her so that he could do that is like crazy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean it's also just. Uh... Uh, credit, I guess, to, to to Kurt Russell because he is a pretty terrible villain, but you're yeah. still kind of like, I'm down to watch him because it's Kurt Russell. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the times Marvel these Marvel movies have a villain problem where they're not interesting enough or whatever. And I thought, I thought that they, you know, they solved that problem here. Like, I thought there was a lot of really interesting you know great character moments and obviously like reveals where you're where you're actually invested you know in and i think that's what helped you know the the end too you know and made it feel a little more intimate and on the level of like you know iron man one even though there's all this big shit happening is because of like just the stuff that that, you know you got invested in with with his character and stuff yeah yeah but um uh, I don't know what I was going to say. I thought I was going to say something else, but, uh, yeah. And he breaks his Walkman too. It was very, very sad. And then he replaces it with a Zune. Which was, that was pretty fucking funny. That made me, that made me laugh. Yeah. I'm sure Zoom is, Zune is thrilled. Yeah. I mean, shit. That was, that was Microsoft's thing. Yeah. I remember when it came out because there was a guy at the theater when I worked at the theater, like who, who had got one and he just got endless shit, man. Yeah. yeah just yeah. endless shit. Cause it was like, it was just, you know, the it was punchy, the thing that people got bag. cause they were like, we're fucking Apple iPods dumb. I got yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and it's just gone so fast. <laughs> Yeah, it was the uh, HD DVD player of of MP3 players for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was that was funny. There was uh, like a was was there a Zune phone too? Was there? I don't remember. If there was, then <laughs> I'm sure it was just as lame. Yeah, I don't remember. There might have been. I mean, I don't know. It's Anyways, to look up. Um, yeah, but that was that was good. That was funny. Um, and, uh, the, I don't know what it was, I, I don't know. Oh, I liked, uh, the, um, (laughs) the, the other thing that, that reminded me of Dr. Strange was like when they were jumping through all the like time (laughs) warps and they were really just like tripping out like that again was like, oh man, like that was, uh, another, you know, there's another example of Rose, like they really bested that. And then yeah, yeah. Um, all the <laughs> baby Groot throwing up. <laughs> so great. 
Oh, you know Baby Groot had Baby Groot's like like screw the opening dance mom, number like the like he he was he was basically Baby Groot was playing the equivalent of like Keenan Thompson on any SNL skit. It was like something <laughs> would happen, cut to Baby Groot and just get a reaction shot from him, and it was it worked so great. The the barfing after the jump, the you know Chris Pratt yelling, "Hey, uh, buck your safety belt, Groot," and then cutting to him just like eating M and M's or something like that. <laughs> uh, oh, and then him trying to get the the thing out of the drawer, whatever that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that and whole he, thing was great. Yeah, he comes back with a severed toe. Um, <laughs> Let us never speak of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought the opening the opening credits thing was really well done too. No, yeah, uh, it, it was fun, and they, they returned to that same sort of thing later on when when Groot's trying or when uh, Rocket's trying to teach Groot how to use the explosive device. Where like, yeah, there yeah, is yeah. a whole battle happening outside, but instead of showing it, you're just sort of hearing it and then seeing things that are happening in one spot while that's taking place. I I like the effect and the style of that, um, which made it kind of it it was fun. Like so, I enjoyed the dance, like the dancing. It's like Groot in that scene was not as funny as like random characters being thrown and Groot being completely oblivious to it happening. Um, so. Yeah. And I thought that, um, I thought that, uh, that Dave Batista this time around really like, I mean, he was a really great surprise in the first one, but like, man, he really just, I feel like he ecl- has eclipsed the rock as wrestler turned actor. Like, and I love the rock, but like, man, like he's just so damn charming in this movie. And like every line that he has is so funny. Like I've been going around saying my nipples like every day since I like every hour <laughs> but, since I saw this movie. But let's be honest, you used to do that anyways. <laughs> oh yeah, true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like oh man, it's just so so good. Like all of his stuff was just so funny. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, like it's just the you know, and it just lends more to the ensemble nature of it all. Um, I, I do like too that I, I never, I could never quite tell whether he was actually into Mantis or not. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't tell whether he was just trying to pretend like she was gross for some strange reason. And then at the end where he's like, and you two are beautiful on the inside. (laughs) It was just so great. (laughs) And yeah, the, the, uh, and I like that, that, um, most of the post-credit stuff was just like them BSing. Um, yeah, yeah. Like with teenage Groot and stuff, and like just stuff like that. Drax getting stabbed with the arrow thing, and just you know funny stuff like that. There's a couple of things where they're like setting stuff. Like I had no clue. I was like, oh, Bing Rames and Michelle Yeoh are in this too. Cool. Um, I like how, I like also how like Ving Rhames is like already bigger than most people, but they still <laughs> had to make him twice as big as everybody else. Yeah. I mean, it's it like, is dis- it is disappointing that uh, that both Tango and Cash are in this movie, but don't share any screen time. But that's okay, um, you know. But uh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like you know everyone knew Stallone was in this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, like the stuff with his character, I was like, all right, I guess that's something. If I you know knew of the comics, I would know. Oh, you know the thought. You know the thing that I thought was super funny. Was I actually thought the Stan Lee cameo this time was actually funny. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> it, it, and, like, it was already hilarious, but then like with the post credit sequence yeah, of yeah. him like basically explaining all of the uh, all of the times that he was a cameo in other films. Yeah, um, I thought that was pretty great. And I thought it was like some meta like troll moment. Especially, I love that in the movie like the one that he references is him as the like FedEx delivery man in civil bro because like that one was one of the most ridiculous ones yeah um but so i was like oh i was like wow that's pretty troll of james gunn but then apparently i just read the other day that that his character i guess is like an actual character in the comics called like the watcher or like those aliens that he's talking to in the movie those those aliens are the the watchers yeah 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 and like that he is like the like him cameoing as all these different characters in all the in all the marvel movies isn't just like oh there's stan lee it's like he has a purpose of like observing earth yeah 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 so i was that, like that, oh. that's what makes it like pretty pretty funny and clever yeah yeah i was like oh i see what you did there 
It, yeah. it was kind of weird, though. Like, what are they going to do with his cameos in films moving forward? Like, I feel like that was such a good cameo. That's like the last cameo you do. Yeah, yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah. I don't know, but that was definitely how they did that. It felt, you know, clever and stuff. Yeah. Um. And, I mean, I love the fact that, I mean, I, I knew going in that, that they had done this. But the fact that, like, you know... There's all these like David Hasselhoff references in the movie and he makes like a he makes like a brief appearance when Kurt Russell turns into him but like the fact that James Gunn actually got the Hoff to wrap the plot 80s style in a track called Guardians Inferno that plays over the credits yeah. is pretty it's pretty great. Like I was like that's that's a pretty nice touch. Yeah yeah. Which is uh Funny since we'll be seeing the Hoff in a in mere weeks, cameoing once again in Baywatch. In, in Baywatch, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I'm sure won't be as uh, clever and funny. Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. But who who knows? Maybe he turns out to be uh, the Rock's dad. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. All right. Well, you got any last thoughts uh, about this film? Uh, don't I don't think so. All right. Well, Carson, if people want to find you throughout the week, <laughs> where can they do that? Just find me uh, listening to my Zoom, uh, <laughs> posting on LiveJournal. Yes. Timely. Good times. <laughs> uh, people can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast over at TheSpoilTheWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to know when the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoilerwarning, or you can like us at facebook.com slash thespoilerwarning. Um, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, so hopefully you're enjoying rocking out to that right now. Um, yeah, we are going to take off, but we will be back next week with... Uh, a review of Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. Hell yeah. Which, right. <laughs> which when I said a couple episodes back, looks like a hot mess. Uh, I think you took that as a non-complimentary comment, <laughs> but I meant that with all complete sincerity. But, but I feel like that's a, hot, that's a good thing. Hot mess is like one of those terms that like it all depends on the inflection in your voice, whether it means like like the circle is a hot mess or you could be like, damn, that movie is a hot mess. I feel like the, I feel like hot mess is uh, in this case is applied in a positive light. Gotcha. But uh, yes, we will be one of the two people that sees this movie. <laughs> Box office boffo. <laughs> I guess I should uh, make sure to actually pay for the movie so they get some sort of money. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. Good, good times. Well, thanks for joining me, Carson. You're welcome. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. In these times of hardship, just remember...